series. The series is entitled Heaven Is, and we're looking at several, several facets about that. The first one was Heaven Is Reasonable, and we talked about just the, the credibility for our hope of heaven and how we can actually be confident about the hope uh, of heaven and, and how it is very reasonable, actually more reasonable than a lot of the, the alternatives. Um, and then last, last week uh, we had guest speaker Billy Graham was with us via video, uh, DVD player there. So um, that was a good time, just him sharing and, and some stories there, some testimonies of others who have a hope of heaven, a very personal and real hope of heaven. And, and he shared and, and some other really moving stories there as well. This morning Greg's going to be sharing on the, the subject that heaven is real. And he's going to share with us some different pictures. He showed me some of the verses he's going to be using. And I think there's going to be some really neat things to think about and realize related to heaven. And, and so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And then he's going to jump on into his message here. So after I pray, I guess we can give him a, a warm welcome as well. But uh, we'll pray again and, and he'll jump right up here. Well, Heavenly Father, we do just again thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come into your presence and worship you together. We thank you for the opportunity to just have fellowship through your spirit with one another here with our fellow believers. And Lord, I do pray that you would um, just speak through Greg this morning, that you would speak clearly and powerfully into our lives. Lord, uh, communicate to us things you want us to know about heaven. God, bring our thoughts in line with yours about what heaven is like, what heaven will be like. Um, God, even how our lives now will affect the future as well. And so, um, but anyways, Lord, we, we just continue to look to you. I pray you'd speak through your words and through your spirit and, and through Greg this morning as your servant. And we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys work? Welcome, Greg. Good morning. Oh, thank you. But I was trying to go hipster there. I'm oh, just kidding. I get that? Do I look okay? Fortunately, we're not videoing this, so who cares? You guys will forget. All right. Well, welcome to the firehouse. As Rich said, I'm Greg. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, man, are you looking forward to heaven? Yeah, so am I. Man, I think there's, there's a lot of great things to look forward to, and there's a lot of horrible things to leave behind here, isn't there? Um, sort of struck this week by how many difficult things happen in our lives. And I know in a lot of your lives, tough stuff going on right now. So let's look forward to heaven together. And I think the question we got to ask is, what is heaven like? Have you ever asked that question? I've asked that question. Um, and I don't do so well trying to figure it out. And I don't think people throughout history have done so well trying to figure out what heaven looks like. I went through and grabbed some of my favorite artwork of heaven. Man, I tell you, this clicker doesn't like me. There, isn't that great? Doesn't that get you excited? No. I mean, I guess there's a rainbow, so that's pretty exciting. Maybe it's a double rainbow. I don't know. Here we go. Here's the gates of heaven. There's actually nothing behind the gates of heaven. <laughs> It's like crystal balls on top of the posts there or something. That's crazy. All right, here's one. Here's somebody getting welcomed into heaven. I don't know. It looks like uh, that's, that candy land there kind of going around the border. Shoots and ladders on the way in. 
Um, here's one. Here's, I guess, Jesus coming uh, the gates of heaven, a bunch of angels. I don't really get excited. This is supposed to be, like, majestic. It's not really exciting to me. I don't know. And then here was a kid's, a kid's picture. <laughs> apparently, lions are miniature in heaven. <laughs> and apparently, the giraffes sing in a choir led by a lady in a robe. I don't know, those look like, look like game pieces on top of the city of heaven in the background. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. And then I think here, here's one of my favorites. I just love that they're still wearing the same clothes as they get their harp or their accordion. I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, but those things aside... What can we really know about heaven? And the question is, does God tell us in scripture? Does he tell us about heaven? Can we really know? Do we really know? And there's a verse here. I think it's the first place to start if we're going to talk about, well, can we know anything about heaven? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived... The things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. See, in, in some ways, if you, if you read this verse sort of in the context, is it really directly talking about heaven? No, not really. Paul's not saying, and here's heaven, and but you can't really know about it. But I think you've got to sort of break this verse down a little bit. What are the things God has prepared for those who love him? Well, it's things in this life. And in eternity. Right? It doesn't stop when you die the things God has prepared for you. So he's prepared heaven for you. So it applies. He's talking about heaven here. And what does this really tell us? Tell us heaven can't be described by our senses. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't really conceive it in our minds. All our imaginations, all our pictures, all that wonderful artwork. Why is it so bad? I think it's because there's no way we can even get close in our human capacity to what God has planned for us. It's so far from our, under, our understanding. And then we have to ask the question, well, what if as humans we did experience heaven suddenly, sort of went to heaven and kind of came back? Well, you know, that happened to the Apostle Paul. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I know a man in Christ. And he's about to talk about his experience seeing heaven. And he can't even t- say, I, I was this man. He has to sort of talk to it. Is that the second person? And I teach grammar. I don't even know what that is. The second person he's talking about like himself is not himself, right? He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And I think uh, Rich talked about that or Tim talked about that a couple weeks ago. The third heaven isn't talking about levels of God's heaven. The first, the first heavens is what? The sky. And the second heavens is what? Space and the third heaven is eternity with God, right? It says, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So here was Paul, the great apostle Paul, saw heaven. And he couldn't even put it in words. He wouldn't put it in words. He couldn't describe it. He couldn't use his senses to describe what heaven is. And this just reinforces that idea. 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our eyes can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't conceive in our minds. And so if we can't see it with our senses, if we can't understand it, how can we have a hope in heaven? Well, it's right here in the verse, right? God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Only by his spirit. So what does that mean? I think, I think this means that God has given us glimpses, pictures, windows, whatever sort of analogy you want to use, of what heaven is going to be like. And he's given those to us in a couple ways. The first one is in experiences. There's people who've had experiences that sort of describe what heaven is like. Now, I'm not one who's going to say, hey, go out and read all of the near-death experiences that you can find, right? I'm not really into that. And frankly, I don't even really read a lot of books. Like, I think I've read maybe five books in the last ten years. But this is one I would recommend that you read. Why? As it's really short. It's really easy to read. And it's a really engaging story. And it's about this kid, and there's a movie out there, and I'm, I'm kind of mixed on the movie. But the book is great. And he doesn't delve too far. The author is his dad, and he has his son who had this experience. And his experience really lines up with scripture. So that's one thing I really like about it. And then another thing is, it doesn't draw a lot of conclusions. It's just a way to encourage. So if you get a chance, I think that's one that could be worth checking out on your own. And there's another book. It's one of my favorite books. It's actually my wife's favorite book called A Severe Mercy. Um, and this is one not really about an experience of heaven, but the author, who was, he was friends with C.S. Lewis, um, he went through this experience where um, he came to know the Lord later in life and uh, with his wife, and then his wife got very sick, and she, she passed on um, and went on to eternity and left him. And so this is a, a very uh, heart-moving story about um, his experience with watching someone he loved very much die. Um, and... He uses that as a way to talk about what heaven could be like. That God sort of gave him this window into heaven of what it could be like. Um, and just one quote I love from that is he talks about time. He's talking about how time, you know, eternity is no time. But we are stuck in time. And time sort of spoils everything. He said, the awareness of duration spoils now. Right? And I think about, just saying, what, what in the world does that mean? Um, I would say, simplify it by saying, good experiences are tainted by the fact that they end, right? This week, I, I got to do something kind of fun. I don't do this a lot. Um, I went and got my hair cut. <laughs> what? Your hair isn't long. I know, but my, my wife usually cuts my hair. But this week, some of you know Mary Joy, and, and she's uh, training to, to be a stylist over there at Paul Mitchell. And so I went over and got my hair cut this week. And, you know, there's this point. If you ever go, some of you guys are like, what? You do this? You know, you just cut your own hair or whatever. But if you go to like a salon, they take you back in the, in the dark, quiet room. And they tilt you back. And they put your head in a sink. And then you begin to have warm water and soap washed through your hair and your scalp. And there's this it's soothing light and it's like John Tesh music playing in the background. And it's all very soothing, right? But it's tainted by the fact that you know it's going to end. Right? It's just like every vacation. You're like, I love vacation, but it's going to end tomorrow. Right? And so I wonder if heaven is going to be like that water washing over the hair, and it's never that sensation. You're like, it's never going to end. 
Maybe without the John Tesh music. <laughs> but then, so I think that's experiences, right? And then, we shouldn't base too much of what we believe about heaven on experiences. We really should look at scripture. And what does the scripture say? And I think the scripture has a lot of things to say. And so here's a whole list of verses. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot these all down quickly if you can. Um, and we're going to go through a bunch of these here, um, kind of in bits and pieces. But, uh, you know, really, I can't even do this topic justice in just a mere 30 minutes here on a Sunday morning. So you might look at these and these could encourage you and you could start to think and pray about what would God have me think about heaven? How would he have me believe How could the Spirit reveal to me what heaven is going to be like? So, we're going to tackle a few things here. You know, again, I I think I could take a whole lot of topics, but I'm just going to grab a few of them and give just a little bit of a taste of what I think the Scripture says we could expect heaven to be. And again, we're not going to go too far. The eye cannot see, the ear cannot hear, the mind cannot conceive. Right? So we're not going to jump to big conclusions here about heaven is going to be this, 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 and this. But I'm going to give you some principles, some things that I think are, are right there in the scripture. And so we're going to stick to scripture. So these are some windows into heaven. Hopefully you've got these. Those of you who are scribbling, you may catch them as we go along here. So the first one, will there be food in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? I don't know about you. I love to eat. I think I got that from my parents. I don't know. They like to eat too. But you know what my favorite food is? A nice, rare, tender steak. You know, every time I go to Chipotle, you know what what I'm putting in my burrito, right? I think it's been years since I had anything else at Chipotle besides a steak burrito. Because I just love it. It's like my favorite thing. I don't know if it's my comfort food. Can steak be a comforting food? I don't know. It is for me. But there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6 to 8. It says this. It says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all peoples. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people. He will swallow up death forever. So clearly there's going to be food, right? He's talking about heaven in this passage. There's going to be food. And it's going to be rich food. I don't know about you, but I get excited about that. And really, what are the problems here on earth with food? Well, it runs out, right? Hunger is a big problem. The food runs out, and there's not enough. And people go hungry. What's another problem with food? Sometimes it tastes bad. Some of you guys are thinking of your mother-in-law's food, and you're, you're nodding your head out there. Now, just for the record, I love my mother-in-law's food. She's a great cook. Another, case, other, other problem with food is that it'll go bad. Um, when, when Ned, you guys saw Ned up here. He did a great job with announcements, Ned. Um, and Ned also does a fantastic job with our coffee. We do have the best church coffee in Denver, maybe in the whole state. I'm going to keep growing that, that saying. It's going to get bigger. It's going to be the universe, right? Um, but Ned just has a passion for coffee, and we're so blessed to have him here at the church. And shortly after he moved to Denver, I don't know what that was, six years ago, seven years ago, Ned came over to my house to kind of help my wife and I understand a little bit about coffee. And I still remember this stuck out in my mind. He brought freshly roasted coffee, and he said, now get out the coffee you've been drinking. And we got out, I don't remember what it was, some store-bought brand or something, and had it for a while. And he said, now smell this. 
Ah, it's, what he brought was just wonderful. And he said, now, smell your coffee. And I smelled it. It was like, that's not so good. And he said, that is the smell of death. <laughs> and isn't that the case with food? It goes bad. It's death. Why does food go bad? Because of death. The smell of death. But you know what? These are not going to be problems in heaven. There's not going to be any hunger. Verse says, he will swallow up death forever. There will be no hunger. There will be no bad taste. Food will not go bad. Whatever that feast is, and again, I'm not going to go too far. Whatever that feast is, the food is going to be awesome. Amen? And what's another problem with food? This is slightly abstract, but um, you have to eat alone sometimes, right? And here's another verse, I think, that speaks to this. Luke chapter 13, 29 to 30. It's talking about the end. It says, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and the first who will be last. It's going to be the greatest fellowship ever. We're going to have a feast with great food and it's going to be with all of the people. I, next week, uh, a week from this coming Thursday, is the greatest feast in America, right? Thanksgiving dinner. And probably every single one of us is going to have some kind of Thanksgiving dinner experience, right? It's just like an American thing that we do. And if you don't have something planned, Rich and Morgan are having you over to their house. No, I'm kidding. They're not. (laughs) But it's going to be great. And you're going to enjoy it. But I bet, I would guarantee, almost every single one of you is going to have some moment on Thanksgiving where you're going to say, man, I wish so-and-so was here. Whether it's somebody who's, who's passed away or somebody who couldn't make it, who lives far away or an old friend or a relationship that's broken, um, we're going to have that. But that's not going to be the case at the feast in heaven. We're all going to be there. We're all going to be together. All of the people we'd ever want to know and ever want to spend time with are going to be there. And so I think to answer this question, yeah, there will be food in heaven. Now what about architecture? Now, I'm no expert on architecture. Actually, I am an expert on architecture. Um, For those of you who don't know, that's my profession before um, coming into being a pastor. And so I love buildings. And this is one of my favorites right here. Does anybody know what this building is? Frank Lloyd Wright was the architect. The waterfall house, which is called... Oh, come on. You don't know that. Yeah. This is Falling Water, uh, designed by Frank Lloyd Wright in Pennsylvania. And architects, my architect friend up here has an opinion about it, and I have an opinion about it too. Um, But I think this is a beautiful house, and I've studied it, and I think it's wonderful, right? And buildings are shelter, not just homes. All buildings are another way of shelter. So uh, what's the shelter going to be like in heaven? Well, we get a clue in John chapter 14, verses 2 to 3. My father's house has many many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be 
where I am. See, this verse is about architecture. House and rooms, you see those words there? House and rooms are basically meaningless if you don't understand them in light of architecture. Now, I don't want to get out into the weeds of architectural theory. And there's a lot of debate about how to define architecture. But architecture is essentially, in my opinion, it is intention that creates space. And then space makes place. Right? We don't won't talk too much about the theory there. But this is the case right here in this verse. God is creating a space and a place for you. How do we know this isn't just some kind of illusion or, oh, you know, it's sort of the metaphoric house and the metaphoric rooms and there's not a lot of specificity about this. You know, how do we know that heaven? Well, there's this great chapter in Revelation, chapter 21. The angel who talked with me, this is John, Apostle John speaking. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. John had this vision of heaven, and this passage goes on, and it specifies length and width and height and depth and the materials that heaven is going to be made out of. It's very specific. And again, just like with food, there's going to be a sense of permanence to the architecture of heaven. There will be no death, there will be no decay. I had a friend uh, when I lived in Seattle, there was a friend of mine. And uh, he had gotten a job uh, working as a security guard at the mansion of Bill Gates, founder of Microsoft, who at the time was the richest man in the world. I'm not sure if he still is or not, but he's a very wealthy man. Um, And so you would imagine at that house, everything would be perfect. And it was. But the reason it was, my friend told me, he related this to me, was that it was in a constant state of renewal. Oh, there's a little bit of rust. We're going to take that whole panel down and put up a new one. Oh, there's, that thing's growing. We're going to tear that out and do something different. And oh, I, I don't quite like that. That didn't quite work well. We're going to tear that out. And it was in a constant state. So even at the very top, there was decay. But that's not going to be the case in heaven. See, falling water here has nothing on the architecture of heaven. As much as I like it, it's nothing. It's like a cardboard box. See, this house is a museum now. Nobody actually lives in this house. And heaven's architecture will not be a museum because we get to experience it firsthand in relationship with God. And this house, Falling Water, was designed by an architect who was not a very good guy, actually. Uh, He was flawed, as all of us architects are. But heaven's architect has no flaws. And so what he makes, the place he's made for us, is also without flaw. So that's something else we have to look forward to. What about the earth? Right? Man, I love the earth. Many of you people like being on the earth as opposed to in outer space somewhere. Right? What's your favorite place on earth? You don't have to answer that. Just think about that in your mind. Well, here's a picture of my favorite place on earth. Um, Here I am standing on the the fifth green of uh, Kapalua Bay course on Maui. Uh, Brad Albert took this picture. You can see the, the splash in the background. That's a humpback whale out in the, out in the strait there. And um, this, is, this is my favorite place on earth right here. I love it. 
But what's heaven's earth? What's heaven's environment going to be like? Well, we get a clue here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. This is John again speaking. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. No longer any sea? What? That's kind of hard for me to imagine, actually. Um, I was talking with Jess this morning. I remember something Jessica said uh, a while back. Um, you know, she grew up a little bit in Hawaii and um, told me that she feels like she has a, a need in her soul for the ocean. And that when she moved to Colorado, she even went through withdrawal from being near the ocean. But there's going to be no sea. There's going to be no ocean. Well, that doesn't sound like much fun. I think Jess is going to be unhappy, right? Well, why is Jess is not going to be unhappy, and why is that? A few verses later, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Look, if you love the ocean like Jess, or Hawaii like me, or whatever else you love from this material world, and it seems so hard to think about heaven not really being like this world, you've got to remember this verse. You won't be sad. You won't be mourning. You won't be crying. It's going to be great. The old order of things will have passed away. We can be confident. We can be confident that the new heaven and the new earth will be better than this one. Probably in ways that we can't even fathom. And to stretch this out a little further is um, my personal opinion is that this applies to our pets as well. How many of you have a pet that you love? A lot of people. Nicole, you better raise your hand. I see the pictures on Facebook all the time. Okay, why do, you, why do I want to talk about pets? Well, there's a lot of debate that goes on. Of, are pets going to be in heaven? And there's a lot of people sort of on both sides of that case. And I'm not really sure there's clear evidence one way or the other in the Bible. And I don't really want to get into that debate. Because I think we can kind of come to this. is that If you have a pet, most likely your pet is really important to you. Like family to some. Your favorite subject for photography like others, right? Not to me, I don't have any pets. Well, I have some chickens. I mostly just want them to lay eggs. I don't really care about them otherwise. (laughs) And the old order of things is going to pass away. Does that include our pets? Well, I don't know. But this is a good rule of thumb, I think, to apply as we think about heaven, is that God knows you. And God knows what you need. So your needs will be covered. And you're not going to be mourning in heaven, right? There's going to be no crying. There's going to be no pain. And so you're either going to have your pets. Or if you don't, you're going to be totally happy. And you're going to be alright with it. So we don't need to get too worried about that. Or the earth or the ocean or Hawaii or whatever passing away. Because whatever is in store is going to be incredible. Now, what about relationships? You know, it talks about people coming from earth. What are our relationships going to be like? Well, here's a picture of my favorite human relationship. This is my wife. Um, I am not six inches taller than her. <laughs> We're the same height. I must have been standing on a rock or a 
something to make myself feel taller. I don't know what the deal was, but she's my favorite person. It's my favorite relationship. And I think this question of relationships is probably the most important question we can ask when it comes to the topic of heaven. What will they be like? First part is, who's going to be there? Well, there's a number of verses. In Isaiah, we said, a feast of rich foods for all peoples. John 14, 2-3, my father's house has many rooms. Well, it would be kind of pointless if it was many rooms for one person, right? Luke 13, 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places. There's going to be people there. There's going to be a lot of people there. And where there are lots of people, there are lots of what? Relationships, right? Think of your family. I love this, you know, I have five kids, and a lot of times people say, wow, you got your hands full with five kids. I say, well, I don't count it by kids, I count it by the number of relationships, right? So if you're a single here today, you have zero relationships. (laughs) That's okay to have zero. Then if you're a couple, you have one relationship between the two of you. If you have one child, you have three relationships. When you have two children, you end up with six relationships. Three children is ten relationships. Four children is fifteen relationships. Five children, like I do, that's twenty-one relationships in our family. Dennis and Thelma, you guys have like a bajillion because you had nine children. I don't know how many relationships that is. I didn't count. Do the math. I could do that. So think about this. Millions of people from the east and west and north and south and all over the place come together. How many relationships are there going to be? Wow. That's a lot of relationships. And you know what? None of them, not a single one, will be somebody you want to avoid. Not a single one is going to be somebody who gives you trouble. There won't be a single person who's an EGR. Do you guys know what an EGR is? Extra grace required. (laughs) Not one. See, Revelation 21.4 says it again, that we no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of relationships will have passed away. We probably can't even imagine this. I can't imagine this. And with every relationship we have on earth, there's something broken. There's pain. There's hurt. There's bruised feelings. There's sin. Even the best relationships, even my favorite relationship, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And it's because of sin. And there'll be none of that when we get to heaven. And every relationship will be amazing, right? Well, what about marriage relationships too, right? This is a marriage relationship. Are we still going to get married? Are we still going to have marriage? What about my spouse? What about these things? Well, Matthew chapter 22. Do I have it here? Yeah, 29 to 30. Jesus replied... I was talking to some guys who were challenging him on this issue. He said, you're in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. You know what my first reaction to this verse is? What? No marriage? That doesn't sound cool. But wait a second. Let's step back. What is marriage? Marriage is something that God set up. As what? As a picture of how he relates to us. 
Well, we won't need that picture when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. Because it'll be right there. We don't need it. We'll get to live it out every day instead. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that talks about two are better than one. You're not going to need two better than one in God's presence. And so we got to pivot our thinking here. When it comes to this relationships and marriage, we've got to think about not what's not, but think about what is. What does this verse say? They will be like angels in heaven. Maybe that's why the far side's got wings and a harp or something. I don't know. How do angels relate to each other? I have no idea, right? I don't think scripture really gives us a whole lot of clues about how they must relate to each other. But it's got to be awesome, right? It's got to be incredible. And again, if there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more death, then whatever the means of relationship is, is going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be wonderful. And isn't that worth looking forward to? Does it make your spirit leap when you think about heaven and you think about that opportunity where there will be no more brokenness and no more crying? My hope is that you would know that heaven is real and that it's going to be like that. It's going to be amazing. And my hope is that every single one of you will not only know that heaven is real, but that you'll be there with me, with the number of us, and that we'll all get to dine together at an amazing feast with multitudes of people from east and west and north and south, people from all times and all places. Think of that. People from history. We'll all be together. And we'll be at a house with more rooms than you could ever explore. And we'll be on a new earth that'll be more amazing than the earth that we're on now. And there'll be no tears. And there'll be no sorrow. And there'll be no pain anymore. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you've given us windows into what heaven is. God, I praise you that you've saw fit to create a place where we could live in eternity in right relationship with you and in right relationship with those you call into that place. But Lord, we know that not everybody gets to go to heaven. Lord, we know that it's obvious from our lives and from our experience that there is brokenness and there is pain and there is sin And each of us are at fault for that sin. We each bear our responsibility. We bear the guilt. And we don't deserve to spend eternity with you. But God, I thank you that you have saw fit not only to create an eternity that we can live in, but you have saw fit to give us a way, a means, so that we could be there. You have reached out in the person of Jesus Christ, And you've let your son Jesus take upon him our guilt, our sin, our shame. And all we have to do is to repent, to change our mind about that, to change our mind about who Jesus is and about our sin. We need to place our trust in you, place our faith in you that you've done this for us that you have provided a way that we could have a right relationship with you now in this life, 
and into eternity. And all we have to do is to confess that in our mouths, in our hearts, with a simple prayer saying, Jesus, I know that you've died and rose again and took the place for my sins. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. And I desire to live for you for eternity. And that's all we have to do, God, so that we can be in this amazing place where there will be food and buildings and a new earth and new relationships and most of all, be in your presence forever. God, we thank you for that. I thank you for... God, I just thank you for who you are and for the beautiful picture you've created for us in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Greg, thanks for sharing there. Um, you know, I encourage you just to think through the, the message there and uh, kind of make sure you take hold of a takeaway for you um, to think about. Um, I, I love the idea of just, um, you know, studying the scriptures to understand. Greg shared with us a, a handful of verses here on, on heaven, and yet, uh, you know, there's so many more. But I encourage you to um, to know the scriptures and understand heaven more here. And um, I, I think so much of that resonates. I love the thought there um, of there'll be no end. The things that, are, that we will enjoy, there'll be no end. There'll be no like, oh, this vacation is coming to an end. That, that'll be awesome. I like the idea of no sin. Do you imagine? Uh, my sin is not going to mess up anything there. It's going to be so good. And, and your sin won't mess up anything either in, in my world. And we'll, it'll be amazing. You know, there's so, so many th- cool things there. But... Um, uh, anyways, we'll, next week, Tim Cavanaugh is going to continue on the theme of really, um, heaven is serious. There really is an alternative to heaven that people have got to realize. Um, and, and so he's going to hit on that. I think it's going to, you're not going to want to miss that. I encourage you to reflect on some of the things Greg shared here. I, I do have to take a little issue with him on the, I love food. I'm looking forward to the feasting. I, I even love steak. I tend to go with more medium. Medium well would be a little better. I don't know about the, the, the pink in there and stuff. But uh, anyways, uh, we could talk about that later, Greg. Um, but no, just joking. Um, one, just to reiterate some of the announcements here. Uh, next week, again, we're going to be having a baptism class. If you're interested in getting baptized, we uh, talked about that in our membership class. And there was a number who've shown interest. And really, it's just to help clarify what it means to get baptized. What the scriptures have to say. What it is and, and what it isn't. And understanding the significance. It's about going public for Jesus Christ and expressing your faith in Christ. And so uh, next Sunday after church, if you're interested, we, we'd love to have you join there. And again, we do baptisms and, and we do baby dedications, but it's baptisms and not to be confused with baby dedications. You know, they're not one and the same to us. And we, we really think of it more as a parent dedication. We're dedicating their children and uh, we'll, we'll have a time for, for that. One of the reasons we do them together is because... Uh, a lot of times we'll have visitors uh, when someone's getting baptized, and we'll also have visitors when someone's doing baby dedications, and, and you can kill two birds with one stone that way, um, but we'll we try to make sure no one's confused doctrinally about that. But anyways, uh, I want to thank you guys for joining us here this morning. I hope you have a great rest of um, your weekend here, and look forward to catching you next Sunday morning right here for Heaven is...
serious, and, and Tim will speak on that. So thanks again for joining us. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, bye.